Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. Bienvenidos in Vilcomen. And that is Andrew Decker speaking, speaking not English. Well, I just got back from vacation. That's right, I'm still, man. I'm still on it. You look mentally. tan. I am tan. Do you have I fun? Had, my, my, my now 18-year-old had a blast. I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had a great time. I You sent me one picture, and it looked like the place had amazing food. And that's, like, generally how I pick my vacation destinations. Then you would love this place. They do have great food, um, all-inclusive. Uh, so I drink lots of Perrier's with lime. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, while you were gone, I was just in court like all last week. seems like everything is opening up now. All of our judges are wanting to be back in trial. And it's like every day, which I love. I love that schedule. Every single day I'm in court. Yeah. This uh, morning, really this morning I, w- I got to court in at just around nine o'clock and got to my office just after 12. I mean, I spent the whole morning running between feels, three, feels like it should three be. felony courts and God, it was, it was almost, good. You know, it's almost like I had... Oh, I don't know. Some sort of protective order keeping me away from the uh, from the office because I was just gone all week long. Huh? Was it temporary or was it an emergency? I don't know, but you know who will know? Who would know? Our office mate, Deandra Lindquist, who's joining us here today. Yes, she is. Hi, hey, Deandra, how'd you like that segue? It was very good. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Just go ahead and get a little closer to the mic. They're telling me that I have to like put this microphone right up in my face so that you hear me because apparently I talk really softly. Right. Yeah. And talk loud. That should work. Yeah. I'm supposed to yell like I do in CCL too. So the judge can hear me. Yes, exactly. Exactly. One of the hard things about having a microphone is, is that you want to, to talk. This is for anyone listening, right? I'm, 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 I know things about recording artists and so forth. Uh, You want to just kind of talk to the microphone. No, you have to talk across a room like you're talking to someone far away. And then the mic does a great job. And I listen to them record these all the time and I can hear them in my office and it's really loud. So I know they're like yelling. We do. Yep. (laughs) Pretty much we're just yelling at each other. We just yell at each other. Yeah. We're both holding microphones like directly in front of our faces, but we're we're sitting about six feet apart and we're still, you know, talking not to the microphone, but to each other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of the things, some of our earlier episodes, you can definitely tell we are far away from the mic. Right. It, but you'll it, be all right. You'll do great. That sounds yeah. good. And we're talking today about protective orders, right. temporary restraining orders, emergency protective orders, these kind of collateral issues that come up with criminal cases, especially in assault family violence cases. Right. 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 So um, we figured we'd have, you know, DeAndre just offices in the same building that Andrew and I office in, and and she's who I send all of my family law cases to. Uh, so we figured she'd be a great resource to uh, kind of walk us through this stuff. Because there's still, I mean, we deal with it a lot, but I just don't know the ins and outs of these things. Right. Yeah, because most of the time we don't really handle the TROs and EPOs, as they're commonly called, uh, because they're kind of over in this other world of family law, right. civil feeling. Um, and then we get someone who, who suddenly, you know, we've got to deal with them because they've also got a criminal case that's popped up yeah. uh, because of it. So uh, Deandra, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. I'm excited right. to be here. All right. So first of all, tell us a little bit about who you are um, and, and how you got into the law. 
So I kind of did the traditional route to law school. I went to undergrad at the University of Oklahoma. I'm originally from Oklahoma, so that's why I stayed there. But then I got accepted to Texas A&M School of Law and went straight to law school right after undergrad. And Was it already fully A&M at that point? My first year, it was not. Okay, so, right. But I think whenever I applied, there was a condition that they knew that it was under contract. All right. So, All right. Just check it. Yeah. Got my Aggie ring. Yeah. All three of us. Good. Yes. Um, all right. No. No? No. no. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Apologies. So, and then I got out of law school and opened my own practice. And I basically said, well, we'll see how it goes. And so everything's been going well. And I do family law and criminal. I would prefer to just do all criminal because the family gets a little crazy. But welcome to the dark side. Yeah, <laughs> but the family law has honestly probably made me a better attorney because as criminal defense lawyers, we don't get to have those formal hearings as much. And so talking in front of the judge, knowing objections, things like that have probably made me a better trial lawyer overall. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, probably better than us. And, and, I've, and I've heard, too, that, you know, from civil attorneys or attorneys who do both criminal and civil, it's the discovery process, reviewing discoveries, propounding discovery that, that um, really can help in your criminal practice. I've done Absolutely. civil work before. Um, and so I feel like I've, I've, I've got that. I'm, I'm as good as I'm going to get with the motions practice. So, um, so I, you know, I pay my dues. Right. And you, you actually have sat with, with me on some trials. She sat with you on trials yet? Uh, no, her? but she, we're scheduled whenever yeah. trials open back up at some yeah. point. Um, in our, our last trial, no pressure to you, Mr. Decker, uh, but we got a not guilty. So We did. Yeah. Right. Who, who among us still has a winning record at trial? So anyways, we're talking with Deandra today <laughs> about... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, okay. So when we get, you know, usually when I get hired on a, or, or appointed to an assault family violence case, they mostly, not always, but mostly come with, you know, some magistrate has also issued an emergency protective order. Our clients will say that's a TRO or a temporary restraining order or restraining order or something like that, just because they don't understand the distinction. And to be truthful, sometimes I don't either. So can you just help us out with that? It is honestly confusing because I have both, you know, family law and criminal defendants come into my office for consultations and they often don't know the distinction between temporary restraining order and protective order. So I always like to just generalize the temporary restraining order into you're going to typically see those in a petition for a divorce or some kind of sapser for um, affecting a child relationship. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Big All word, right. I know, Big right? Yeah, define sapser. sapser. We're, 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 we're criminal defense attorneys. We don't use words like that so here. So sapser, you hear family law attorneys say this all the time. It's a suit affecting a parent-child relationship. And it is way easier just to say sapser. Uh, so you often, oftentimes seen, see a TRO with that. Uh, sometimes the TRO really doesn't affect a contact issue with, with an opposing party. So that's kind of important to know as well, because clients will come in and say, oh my goodness, there's a TR, there's a temporary restraining order on this. And they think it's restraining you from seeing somebody. Well, there's some general temporary restraining orders that are either for protection of a person and of property or protection of the child. So 
that protection of the property is not necessarily in regards to a no contact issue. And you're going to see those generally thrown out there. They're standard, they're, they're form language from the Texas Family Law Manual. And a lot of the times you as an attorney want to put that in there to protect your client from the opposing, par the opposing party going in and draining a 401k, from taking out all the savings account, uh, from taking off with the vehicle or selling the house, all those kind of things. Right. Uh, and the other protection is we have general jurisdiction courts in Parker County and several of the outlying counties in the DFW area. And a lot of the times those general jurisdiction courts are very backed up on hearings. A temporary restraining order gets you a hearing within 14 days. So ah. it speeds it up a little bit so that you can actually get temporary orders for your client to protect their assets. And then the other thing that people get confused about is you're going to hear the term injunction. What that means is a temporary restraining order, once it's put into temporary orders, turns into a temporary injunction. It's typically the same language. The only concern is is you want to be aware of your client's occupation, whether your client's a hunter, because there are some of those terms in there that are protection against persons that can trigger, trigger the federal statute. And you don't want to put your client in that position where they cannot possess a gun. Right. right. So if they're, if they're just going off to their deer lease to go hunting, um, and are under, um, I guess that, that temporary injunction, yes. um, then they, they could be in some serious trouble yes. if they're caught with a firearm. So the federal statute, what the trigger is, the language in there, it says that there's been a hearing. So once there's been a hearing and that's turned into an injunction, they've had the notice, they've had the opportunity. And even if it's mutual in these divorces, you don't want to put that language in there if you know that that's an important thing to them yeah. because they can get into more trouble with the federal statute if they're, they're violating that, uh, injunction. Yeah. So it, it, it's just little things that, that kind of stack up, uh, the, those sapsers, those divorce cases, um, where they're trying to protect themselves, their property, their children. Um, uh, I don't do a lot of family law, but occasionally I get called in, especially, I guess, especially usually I'm called in if, the the family law case the 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 cps or sapser involves things that look like they could be tied to a felony Absolutely. Um, that's when i get a call in and often in those those tro's there's the judge has made a finding of family violence and that's where you're talking about the suddenly that gun statute kicks in even yes. though they haven't been found guilty if there's enough evidence that the judge goes, I think there might be family violence and I don't want this person to own a gun, they put that injunction on them. And suddenly you have someone who cannot possess a firearm, even though really nothing's been adjudicated. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's where the, you know, the burden's a little bit less. It's not a little bit less, but it's a lot less than beyond a reasonable doubt. So you're, you really need to be careful and protect your clients in that instance and so that they are aware of what what consequences there are for signing even a mutual temporary injunction right yeah because sometimes it'll be both it, it'll actually say both directions yes um and sometimes people will think well that just means i can't have a gun if the kid's present so i'll keep yeah. the guns correct 
or I can't use, I, I can't have a gun in the commission of some crime. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Happen. Don't ever do that. <laughs> and Andy's not taking Especially any family law cases. Nope. Right. right. And again, I only take them if there's a felony tied to the potential outcome. Well, and, and that's, you know, because I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh man, that is, you know, a temporary restraining order is this until there's a hearing becomes, you know, temporary orders, then it's a temporary injunction. And I'm like, yeah, that this is why I stick to, I, I like the nuances in criminal law. If it's family law at this point in time, it's foreign enough to me where I'm just like, I, I better, I'm going to be, I'm going to best serve this individual by passing it off to somebody I trust like Deandra. Right. Yeah. Not like me. Don't send them off to me. Nope. nope. <laughs> well, and we talk about these issues a lot because there are instances where you maybe do want your client because there is that form language that I was telling you about, but you can kind of make an injunction, whatever language you want. We'll talk about the consequences between a protective order and a temporary restraining order later or a temporary injunction. But Sometimes you'd prefer them to an, agree to a temporary injunction rather than someone pursuing a protective order or, you know, continuing to have the police or the DA's office investigate whatever allegations they're looking at. So generally, just want to make sure I'm on track up to this point, a temporary restraining order comes out of a civil suit, a divorce or a sapser, and a emergency protective order comes uh, when someone has been arrested, usually for a family violence, and the judge, the magistrate, writes up an, uh, a protective order so that the injured party or the alleged injured party in the family violence case knows that they are safe or safer because even coming in contact would be a violation of the protective order. Yes. And so a protective order. Good, good. We, <laughs> we, uh, I've been doing a lot of protective orders lately, um, mostly because we've seen with COVID, there's just been a lot more family domestic disputes going on and the police are called out and the option that's always presented to them when the police are there, well, would you like us to present an emergency protective order on your behalf? You get a wide range of answers, but the, the other option is, a retained attorney can actually go file a protective order on behalf of a client. And so we have that. And then we have the district attorney's office that does it as well. So there's a lot of different options. You're seeing a different attorney who they typically represent. They represent that client if they do represent the state, but there's been interesting affidavits uh, pointed out to me in regards to what judges are signing. And that's, slightly concerning to me because we do have a standard of we want to protect protect an alleged victim, but I'm seeing a lot of judges sign orders that have an affidavit and it's very vague language. And I look at it as we still need to be protecting not only the alleged victim, but also the alleged perpetrator because they might not actually be the perpetrator exactly. in, right. in this instance. And Absolutely. so it's, a situation where a judge only sees one side of the story and sometimes it's very vague. Uh, the most recent one I've seen that caused me concern was I, it was a stalking protective order and the alleged victim said the, my client showed up to her work. I called the police, no dates, no phone logs, no nothing. And said this with her showing up at her house, her texting her, her calling her. And so it was a lot of concerns about 
we had a judge sign this order, but what facts were actually presented? Right. So it was concerning, but we do have remedies in regards to that. Uh, we have a motion to vacate. You can put that motion in and see what the judge will say. Each judge is a little bit different. You have to kind of know your judge as well because some of these get put in family law courts. So in regards to a motion to vacate, sometimes those judges will say, well, you need to give me a reason why me signing this is, is not okay, aka some type of notice problem or the fact that, you know, there wasn't something that was timely done, not the actual information within the affidavit. They're not concerned about that. They're basically saying, I read the affidavit, I signed it, so we're going to move forward with the hearing. I'm not going to vacate this just because you're bringing this to my attention. Yeah, right. just because people have now changed their mind. Right. Yeah, I get that. So like a technical issue. Yeah, um, it has to be, a lot of them I see it has to be a technical issue. Right. But that's obviously not every judge. Every judge has their own preference because there's, in regards to that statute in the family code, there's not any case law that I know of. So it's very vague. And so it's to the discretion of the judge and each judge has their own preference. So got to love that judicial discretion. <laughs> I try not to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> For sure. So um, EPOs and TROs often get uh, feathered with or, or intermingled with bond conditions. Yep. Right. Um do they do they run together? Is it do do some of them run out at different times? To yeah. So with I'll kind of I'll kind of say low man on totem pole. <laughs> it's if they have existing, let's say it's a sapser or some type of divorce, and there's already pleadings out there. That's kind of low man on totem pole. Those orders are if there are is there's a protective order in place or an ex parte protective order that trumps those family law orders. Bond conditions are kind of the, the top of the food chain and they top everything. So even if you win a protective order, they are still investigating and they've already arrested and your person already has bond conditions. So my recommendation for that situation is let's say you win the protective order and you should go in and ask for your bond conditions to be modified or removed based on that information. I'll say right. that's, you know, hard to do because we're looking at the criminal element of it. Right. But at the same time there, we also have situations where people don't go through with their protective orders. So the district attorney's office looks at it as, well, that's fine that they don't want to pursue that protective order anymore, but we're the state. And we're still going to pursue this. And we still think that these bond conditions need to be in place. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's, that's kind of what I, what I tell my clients, like we can, we can ask the court to vacate the protective order that'll remove this restriction. But remember, you're still reporting into a bond supervision officer. You have bond conditions, which we just had a, a podcast episode about that. If anybody wants to go back and check, check that out. Yeah. There's a couple of back. Yeah, the, the, the issue becomes uh, when you have these multiple lines of defense, right, to protect yeah. the, the alleged victim, is that you end up with persons, again, nothing has really been adjudicated. Yes. And you'll have a spouse who can't go to their home 
or cannot return, cannot be in the presence of their children or can't be with their children unsupervised. And sometimes the level uh, for these questions is, was there family violence? And the answer is, she hit me and it hurt. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's not a bruise. And, and again, I'm not, as Mr. Harris and I often say, we're not advocating that it's okay to hit someone. Violence um, is bad. Okay. It's not good. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> but, but there's, I've seen cases where someone has a protective order because of something a little less than a bruise. Like there was yeah. never a yes. bruise present. Right. And then I've got cases where people have been beaten. Yeah. Right. They're they, actually they, deserve that protective order. They need right. uh, some protection for sure. Right. And, and, there's there's a difference but somehow the magistrate and i understand you're trying to do a bunch of cases at one time trying to get through them and you're trying to protect because someone the risk of danger risk of harm to someone to it to a to an a, a, someone who's been abused goes up if there's been a police report filed if they try to leave those kind of things and the last thing we want is someone to be seriously hurt or killed yeah but somewhere there's got to be we've got to i don't know it's hard yeah i don't know what the answer is either i don't either we're not solving it obviously yeah no but i kind of compare it to as well to the best interest of the child standard and a sapser because that's what the judge is always going to look to and say well is this in the best interest of this child and they're going to be more protective of a child and that's kind of how we have to look at protective orders as well they're trying to be more protective of a victim because you know, whatever the allegations are, they have been put in a situation where they, you know, have been harmed or allegedly been harmed. And so they're trying to protect someone. And then you get that, you get to have a hearing and Mm -hmm. you get to plead your case to the court. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's true. I mean, we have a lot of these magistrates are non-attorneys, right. And, and not only, I mean, even if they were attorneys, I just think I kind of give them a pass if they're going to, if, if somebody's arrested for assault, family violence, they're looking at only what the officer has written up. You know, that officer is going to be writing it up to, to support their case. Um, so, and in the news, it's the domestic disputes that always turn the most violent. That's when uh, officers' lives are at, are most at risk. Um, other people's lives are, are most at risk. These are very delicate situations. So I kind of give those, initially give those those um, magistrates a pass but i but that goes away when my motion to vacate a protective order is is denied then, then i'm like <laughs> what come on man uh um, come on judge but you know usually like the judge is going to require an affidavit of non-prosecution or some agreement from the state prosecutor or or something along those lines they're not just going to file it or, or vacate it because they're like okay it's been two weeks you know, enough time has passed, cooler heads will prevail kind of, th- kind of deal. Like, kind of like you said, it's either, it's going to be a technical uh, reason for some judges and other judges. I think they're going to need to see some change in facts from when they originally filed that. And even then, I mean, they're temp- I mean, they're, they don't last forever. Right. No. DeAndre? So uh, we have a couple different types of there's, so you have to look to the family code and the, uh, code of criminal procedure to understand any type of protective order uh, that there's a lot. We could probably spend hours on that. Just 
going back and forth, that's a lot of the time why criminal defense attorneys don't want to touch it because they're like, oh, I don't have a family code. I'm not going to do that. Or vice yeah. versa. The family law attorneys don't want to touch the criminal code. But we have a situation where you get a hearing within 20 days and then uh, you can have at minimum. So if there's no end date. This is for on, the temporary yeah. restraining order, right? Uh, no, this is for a protective, oh, okay. protective okay. order. And so and that's for specifically the assault family violence. They have each, they have the assault family violence, which you have a certain standard on and to, for a protective order to get uh, the burden for an ex parte protective order turn into a protective order is uh, that you, hang on, let me find my notes. I, I wrote them all out. <laughs> hey, we get Good. it. We, we, do, do, that we do the same thing. So, uh, you have to show for family violence that family violence has occurred and that it is likely to occur again. So when you're going to a hearing, you, you want to think about that. There's, if there's no date in there, it lasts for two years, but your attorney can ask for, you know, longer. And then there are some lifetime ones in the criminal code that you can have that it's last lifetime of the, the alleged victim or that it uh, lasts the lifetime of the, um, you know, alleged perpetrator. Wow. So uh, they can last pretty long. Uh, the most recent one that was over two years that I did was five years. So, I mean, obviously they, they range a little bit, but the other thing is you have kind of these unique standards. Like I said, family violence has occurred and it's going to occur again. The other one is that we have the Texas Code of uh, Criminal Procedure that you have either a victim of sexual assault or abuse, stalking or trafficking. And you have to have reasonable grounds to believe that the applicant is the victim of one of those. Okay. So that's kind of another different standard. You'd think they'd all be uniformed, but they're not. And then we have the stalking one that you, it's, it's very similar to the family violence, but it is probable cause exists to believe stalking was committed under the code. And then that the nature or the scheme, the nature of the scheme or course of conduct engaged in shows that the defendant is likely to commit stalking again. Yeah. And then probable, the other one is the probable cause exists to believe that the offense, and this includes Title V offenses like homicide, uh, sexual uh, offenses, assaultive offenses, things like that or any type of uh, criminal mischief, arson, or graffiti will has occurred, and it's due to some type of prejudice or bias. That's actually the new, well, they grouped it in. It used to be 7A, and they redid the code January, and it's all under 7B now. So that's an, another standard, and it shows, you have to show again that it's likely to occur again, the same type of offense, and it's because of a bias or prejudice. So that's okay. a lot. There's a lot of yeah. information and they're all kind of a little bit different standards. Uh, and so those would be kind of for lack of a bit, the, the, the bias or basically we're borderline hate crime. Exactly. Okay. That's what I would say. Right. Absolutely. All right. I'm, uh, I'm tagging somebody's business because of their gender identity, race, religion, something yes. like that. Yeah. And I might be wanting to do it again if I, if I had the opportunity. Those would be kind of the standards. Yes, and it's interesting too because when I read that, 
you know, the probable cause statements associated with the offense, but there's a different prong and it just says the court finds that it was because of bias or prejudice. So it's discretionary to the judge what level they're going to apply. I don't really know. I haven't had one of those yet. So yeah, I haven't either. That's I, interesting. I don't know what a court would do. Yeah. And it'd be interesting to request the findings afterwards because I think you'd get interesting results from the judiciary. So, so if I have a client that comes in, he's been arrested, I say he, they've been arrested for an assault family violence type case. The magistrate who's reviewing the probable cause goes ahead and orders or issues an emergency protective order. Does that, does that magistrate have the discretion to set a time limit or is that, are those time limits statutory? So the, it says as early as possible. That's what the code of criminal procedure says. So don't, so this protective order should not be in effect. It should be in effect for as short a time period as possible. They want to get it in front of a judge because everyone has the right to be in front of a judge and have their story heard. Whether we want our clients to do that or protective order is uh, difficult. Uh, So that's, you know, another thing, but we want to be able to get the evidence from either the DA's office or if they retain counsel. Oh yeah. To be before it's heard before a judge, but like, yeah. you know, if they have a protective order by a magistrate, am I asking the question? Like, you know, it's like, okay, for 60 days, you cannot live in your house, you know, or for like, who's like sets their bond that? conditions too. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess just like, you it's know, you're restrained from, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's discretionary. Up to the judge. Yeah. Uh, there's right. a lot of discretion, but so next time I talked with a judge and they're like, I can, my hands are tied as a statute and be like, bull, my office mate says, no, sir, it is discretionary. discretionary. Right. The, the, the interesting, well, if they want to make it a short, I guess they, if they want to make it a shorter period of time. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. The, uh, it, it just becomes a, well, scary it becomes scary. It really is. So what happens? Our client has, uh, an EPO, or a TRO or bond conditions, and the answer may be different for each one. What if they violate these these conditions? So it is. It's very different. Uh, temporary, let's start, let's start yeah. with a temporary restraining so order. So temporary restraining order or an injunction, the good part about that is it's part of a, a civil case. So it is an order of the court. You do need to advise your client that they can be put in jail for violating that. I've never seen that happen. So it'd basically be contempt. Yes, it's contempt of court. Mm-hmm. And that's where we've talked about this before. Sometimes you'd rather your client agree to a temporary injunction that has some type of no contact and have the allegations for the protective order put on hold because you're basically telling your client, hey, yes, you're kind of making a promise. It's not really, you know, solid because I've never seen a judge put someone in jail for violating an injunction. It can happen, but it's kind of more of a protective measure. It's showing the court, hey, I'm going to be a good boy or a good girl and actually follow this. And you don't need to do the protective order because you think about those prongs. It's family violence has occurred and is likely to occur again. Well, if you have an injunction in place, that's basically the same language as a protective order, but in an injunction and they're following it they can't meet that second prong. Right. It's not possible. It's very difficult. And in your protective order hearing, if someone still pursues it, that's really great for you 
to be able to show that. So that's the good part about that. Uh, protective so, order right, or if bonds. We, if we, well, let's just go with the protective order. I violate a protective order. That you're going to go to jail <laughs> and the police can pick you up on the spot. For sure. It's, it's you're going to get arrested. Uh, you, the, the police have no ability to enforce the order that you've signed as an injunction. They're going to say, thank you, but this is a civil matter. <laughs> and right. they're going to say, I need an order from a judge to involve myself in this versus if you violate a bond condition or you violate a protective order, you're going to be charged under the, the, yeah, the code. code. Yeah. And, and these get really sticky. I have uh, a client. Yes, who, they do. Right. That I mean, become really a mess. A client who was bonded out by the alleged victim who paid for an Uber for my client to come home. My client didn't agree to the terms of being at the house. So leaves and the alleged victim then calls and says she violated the protective order. And that's where it's difficult. Go, it's black dude. and white. I mean, yeah, did right. they violate it or did they not? And right. it's automatically a, a class A misdemeanor. Yep. And there are certain situations where it could be a state jail felony or yeah, even. One. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, the more happens, you get. It happens and it happens and it happens. I've seen yes. that often. I, I refer to it as people getting baited into coming yeah. back because yeah. bonded them out and gave them an Uber. Yes. Yeah. They, the That's alleged victim baited. knows they yeah. know, and they're like, Oh, I won't call the, yeah, they're baited. Cause I just call it baited because they always say, Oh, I'm not going to call the police on you. And they always end up calling the police and yeah. nothing could have happened. And it's them. It's, it's you initiating that contact. If you go there, if you, they can talk to you all they want, but the minute you respond, yeah. You're yeah. in trouble. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's going to jail now. Yeah, yep. it's almost. I mean, it's there's really no, like we were talking about technicals earlier. It's like, well, did were you there or were you not? You know, right. like that. That is the the crime. Like, um, I don't know. It's like prima facie evidence. Is. Like you were there. They found you there. You I, th were I think a reasonable jury would find it very difficult to convict sure. someone on Agreed. that. Sure, but you're you're taking a risk that you're going to jail for a year. Yeah, I mean, like, I think that that'll make that'll make me tighten up. Well, I don't well, know and then that... think about the people that can't bond out again. They don't have the funds to bond out from this new charge. That we see that happen a lot yeah. on our our jail runs, yeah. and mm -hmm. you know, you you talk to them and you tell them all of this, and it, they're put in a difficult situation. Well, yeah, and and yeah, I mean, like kind of like that situation. A lot of times, our clients just don't have the funds to be able to afford a motel room, hotel room, uh, rent another house or stay somewhere for an extended period of time. They have, they, it's either risk the vi violating the protective order or bond conditions or just be homeless and sleep outside. You know, I mean, it, it really is like a choice between, between that, the only place to go or homelessness. Yeah. Is, is their home. Right. It's a tough, tough situation to be in, but right. So violating that protective order, Starts off as a class A misdemeanor. Next one's going to be a felony. And, in, and even without the protective order, if it's a bond condition, you violated yeah. a bond condition, they can arrest you, arrest you that for that just as quickly and easily. And then Correct. revoke your bond on the revoke first your one. Revoke your bond. Well, I was going to say. give you a new charge. Yeah, even you're, if you have a protective order, you likely have bond conditions. So picking up that new charge is probably violating your bond conditions. It certainly is a new charge that's going to uh, justify a revocation of your bond. 
So you're just in all sorts of mess. Yep. Yes. So digging a hole. They, like I said, sometimes the best way to advocate for your client, if they are in this TRO protective order bond conditions world, sometimes, you know, talking to them and saying, what happened? What do you want from this? And agreeing to a temporary injunction is the best situation and will show the court that they're not going to have family violence occur again. It's not likely. So you're putting in those protections for your client by making an agreement that some people would be like, why are you agreeing to that no contact? Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Any other, any other things? My on gosh. On that, are we ready a, to move on to fun questions? Yeah, that's a that's a that lot, right? I mean, it was like it was scary. There's a lot of nuances and twists and turns. Basically, Man. what I learned is I don't want to face a TRO or an EPO, and definitely don't want to face bond conditions. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah, and and look, if you guys got if if you defenders out there have people walking in and you're just unsure, um, you know, DeAndre will give you your her contact information here in a little bit, but find somebody who does this to answer these questions. Do not wade into this without uh, knowing what you're doing. It can right. be very or, sticky. or be willing to be the be that person in your area that will say. Yeah, I'll sit in on this. I'll be the second chair because I know how to keep them out. You know, I know, I know where the felony starts. So, yeah. you know, on that TRO or EPO, let's make sure that they don't step off into a felony by what they say or do. Yeah. Um, so right on. Absolutely. All right. We asked some fun questions of everyone and, and apparently you've already reviewed these yes. uh, with a, with a federal prosecutor. <laughs> Uh, yes he doesn't listen to the show though it's yeah, okay. we know he doesn't no, listen to I, so i asked him i said are you gonna listen to the show because i'm on it and he goes when is it supposed to drop and i was like 8 a.m on the tuesday he was like i don't know if 8 a.m is gonna happen but i'll listen to it so he's At gonna listen point, to it in between right. in between innings probably commercial breaks of his oh favorite my baseball goodness. game you know, what I mean? you know him too well uh, he's right, watching right. baseball well all right so fun questions okay what is your favorite band or musical artist so I am definitely unique in regards to my age. Aerosmith's my favorite band. That was the last concert I went to, and I've seen them three times in concert. Dang. Okay. That's the first time we've had Aerosmith uh, as a reply from one of our interviewees. Yeah, I, lo I love Aerosmith. Me when too. I, when I was in high school, uh, I was living with some friends because my parents had moved, so I was finishing high school, and they're... I was a senior in high school. Their college age senior moved home. Her name was Janie. It was the same year that Aerosmith's uh, Janie got a gun. I came out and I would play it real loud and she would get really, really mad. She I'm didn't, sure she, she, she didn't would. Like Do you have a favorite album or song oh. of theirs? Too many. There's too many. My best friend growing up, like Aerosmith was his favorite band. And I was like, why are these guys screaming? I don't get it. See, okay. If you go see them in concert, like, I mean, I know Steven Tyler's old. Sorry for who anyone is. Steven Tyler's age. Why did you look at me when but, you? Whoa. <laughs> He's older than you. He is older than I. He am. is older than you, but um, he is a great performer, and he's just very talented. He can sure. play like any instrument possible. So right. I'm always That's impressed. Cool. That's very cool. Maybe Steven Tyler will listen to this. Maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> favorite book. So my favorite book series would be the Harry Potter series. So that's really going to show what age range I am. It's a good one though. So yes. I love Harry Potter, but it's... So have you seen all the movies too? Yes. 
I have you, have you so gone I, to the Disney uh, I've been to Univer okay. it's universal it's universal yeah, and so that's seven. actually what I my graduation present from my parents from law school was I went to Harry Potter wonderful world. I like it I know that's funny I know all right what about uh like best piece of advice either you know in life or as a lawyer or so I kind of joked that my best piece of advice was don't be a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> because it's hard, but we, we do talk about that a lot. Yeah. You really want to have to have a good spirit about it. I just want to encourage people not to lose the spirit that they have in mm. regards to practicing. Don't let the other lawyers change you. Don't let the environment change you. Don't let your clients change you because this is a hard industry to work in. Like it's, you it's get down a lot. It's emotionally taxing. Yes, yeah. it's very emotional and you can take on too much. I know I take on too much from my clients, like their emotions, but I try to make it where they don't change who I am. And I think that's important in our advocacy. Yeah, it's good I advice. That. That's great. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's really easy to get burned out and you have like, you let one case, one client, one prosecutor, whatever, just really take take its toll on you and and you know really ergo the, the day, vacation last week hey there you go right i mean yeah, it's important take to recharge for sure too. that's a good piece but just advice. remind remember like for every client that does that to you there's always a another client that's just so grateful that for what you've done for them yeah you know seriously it's those are great clients to have but you know you just you gotta keep your head on you on straight somehow sometimes but and i think like family law and criminal law attorneys are are kind of kindred spirits in that in that regard like we we both have very taxing clients and cases and things that we do so absolutely yeah. so if someone if someone decided that miss lindquist was the person they needed how would they get a hold of you so I'm located right in the same building as the Andrews. I, that's what I always say. Office with the Andrews. <laughs> We're just a collective unit. <laughs> <laughs> they are. We we have a group text, and I like just want to title it the Andrews. <laughs> we do have our we do have separate offices. They do within this building. So <laughs> they do. We each all have our own individual office within the building. And uh, we'll put all my contact information on the website. On so, the show notes. Yeah, yeah on the, show, the notes. show notes. I still, so. I, sometimes I can find them. You know, and, and uh, yeah, we'll, we're still working on that with Andrew, but we'll, we'll put all that, uh, we'll put your website on the, on the show Absolutely. notes. And I think you have something else to share with our, um, you know, with our listeners was like a PDF or something that we can yes, post. I'm going to put a PDF that way you can kind of see what normal, I say normal, but just like what the form family law manual language looks like for a TRO, Perfect. because some people don't understand what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. So I think that'll be helpful. And then also how it applies to property persons and then children as well. That'd be Good great. Deal. That'd be great. We'll add that as a Dropbox link uh, for available for download for, for all y'all out there. Um, and then just, just Google Deandra Lindquist. She is great. Um, she's a great resource that we have in our office for sure. Yeah. Um, so fantastic. Well, we hope a lot of you, we hope all of you got something out of this, uh, the learning, the distinction between TROs, EPOs, Bond that conditions. May, yeah. Play right. into your criminal case and all that. So we want to remember, remind you that next week we'll be at Rusty Duncan. Uh, you can find Andrew and I, we're going to have some business cards, uh, we would love to know, and DeAndre's going to be there as well, but we're, we're talking about the show at this moment. If you would like to be on the show, if you have a topic for the show, if you know someone who needs to be on the show, 
find one of us, just, just yank us by the arm and not yank, but you know, like pull on our sleeve and go, Hey, I have an idea for the show. Uh, we'd love to hear that. We're going to, we're hopefully going to do some interviews. We're going to bring down our equipment. Uh, so we might be able to interview you right there and post it up later in the summer or in the fall. Um, so look for us there. Look for us at Rusty Duncan. We are so excited about being in San Antonio after having a year where we Indeed. couldn't be together. Uh, and then also you can find us, Andrew and Andrew, on Texas Criminal Defense on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on the web at texascrimdefense.com. You can find us on Facebook at Andrew and Andrew on Texas Criminal Defense. And you can find us on Twitter, A and A Crim Def uh, is our Twitter handle. I think as of right now, we have eight followers. Right on. So we're getting I there. Got to start somewhere. It took me a while to get get to get Mr. Harris to even follow us. So I'm. I'm uh, I had to find the Twitter app on my phone. <laughs> I've been so long since I like even opened it. Like, what do I even? Oh, I do have it. Here it yeah, is. Yeah. So it's been great talking to y'all. Thank you, uh, Deandra, for being on the show, and we will talk to y'all next time.